it's really it's sort gross. of one of those works from the 30s that's very prescient like um like billy mitchell's book billy mitchell the guy with the uh, pac-man high score yeah <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> um, uh, I did not frame hack. I did not do it. It's bullshit. I did not hit her, Miss Pac-Man. I have I have seen Billy Mitchell in person, and he is just as terrible in person as he is in picture. For today's episode, we're going to be talking about Smedley Butler. Um, funky butt loving. <laughs> yeah, funky, funky, funky butt loving. I watched one of the greatest the heroes. <laughs> oh my god, hot ice! <laughs> yeah, heat up the ice cubes. That's it's the best what of both worlds. Smedley Butler and Chesty Puller. That's how they got so popular, actually, in the core. <laughs> back back in the days when Marines had names, you know, Chesty, Smedley Puller. <laughs> not these, not these made-up names like Mattis, Tucker, <laughs> Mattis. <clears throat> anyway, sorry. Um, so, Smedley Butler, he he's one of the most decorated um, Marines in in history. I think he's also one of the most decorated soldiers um, in in U.S. military history. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that. Um, uh, for a large portion of when he was in the military, they would just give you medals for like just dumb minor things. <laughs> just give you a medal for dumb shit. And you wiped after taking shit. Have a medal. Like uh, for, <laughs> this is the instance, Smedley medal. <laughs> Only he can get that. There's no other Smedleys. <laughs> like in the Civil War, if you got the Medal of Honor, it didn't really mean that much. Like it was still an award, but it was almost like a, a merited service award because so many people were given them. Yeah, you like, feel that? It, you hear that? Are you civil Civil War veterans out there listening? <laughs> your Medal of Honor doesn't mean shit. Dude, you are literally hitting a huge part of our audience. Civil the War veterans. Dead. Civil War reenactors. I'm just civil saying. War reenactors? Uh, my character that I cosplay as, <laughs> he got he got one mm. of them their medals. My dearest Martha. Johnston John Street the Third won the Congressional Medal of Honor. Jesus. <laughs> At the Battle of Luciander Ridge. I just made that up. That's not a real place. Like the massacre of Bowling Green. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so Smelly Butler, he was born on July thirtieth, eighteen eighty one. Um, he, he was born into a, a somewhat well-to-do family. Um, I, I guess he'd be considered um, sort, sort of like an old money family. Um, his father was a lawyer and who eventually became a, a judge and then later a, a congressman for 31 years. And he was also the chairman of the House um, Naval Affairs Committee during the Harding and Coolidge administrations. Of the New England butlers. <laughs> yes. And his uh, maternal grandfather... Uh, Smedley Darlington, who I think uh, Smedley Butler is named after, was a Republican congressman from 1887 to 1891. These people so, have the most fantastic names. Smedley Darling. <laughs> Smedley Darlington. Smedley Butler. When when he, he um, when he was in high school, he, he attended a, a school that was called the Haverford School, which was a secondary school. 
um, for sort of sons of upper-class Philadelphia families, so it was a school for fancy boys. Oh. Fancy Philadelphia boys. Fancy lads. War is a racket. <laughs> it's a racket. doesn't matter if you're at 5th and Lucas or you're over there on South Street. <laughs> I wish he talked with, like, a Philadelphia accent. That'd be way too good, right? Yeah, yeah, he said there were accident recordings. Yeah, there's there's news recordings of him um, for when he talks about the business plot. He he did a newsreel where he talked about the the plot. It's, like, a couple minutes. It's on Wikipedia. There's probably some other ones on Archive. But he he just has a very sort of um, generic-sounding accent. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not really anything like super out there, and it, it's a pretty normal voice. It's not like Patton, where it was just like really nasally and whiny. It was a pretty normal voice. What exactly, if I uh, may ask, does a Philadelphia accent sound like? I just did one for you. Basically, what they do is they kind of talk through their nose a little bit, and they kind of kind of say a lot of words like that. You know, uh... you go down Philadelphia, Philadelphia Eagles. Smedley Butler, Philadelphia, known Hall of Fame Philadelphian. Smedley so, Butler, war So you racket. have an accent like somebody from the Midwest if they were drunk. When they say like words, and when they say numbers, they like smudge the numbers together. So like <laughs> Smedley Butler live eighty one to nine forty, like that. Oh, you trailing off? Like, Did I catch a niner in there? Uh, nine forty. <laughs> <laughs> you would you would have been caught though, like if you were if you were a spy infiltrating Philadelphia, you would have been caught because instead of saying Eggles, you said the Eagles. I did say Eagles, Eggles, Philadelphia Eggles, Eggles is I think Eggles is more like a Jersey Philly thing, you know, over there, Cotman and Gerard, Fifth and Lucas. <laughs> anyway, we, enough Philadelphia accent, which mine's awful, but basically that's the gist of it. And if you need to know. What it sounds like, all you have to do is look up uh, Anthony Gargano. That's all you need to do. He's like a sports guy from the, from uh, Philadelphia. He has the most Philly accent I've ever heard in my life. That is so much more work than I want to do just to hear what they sound like. <laughs> I'll post it in the show notes. <laughs> oh, yeah. For anybody that wants to compare how bad your accent is to the actual thing, we'll have Terrible. <laughs> Awful. Fucking Philly accent. Um, at the age of 17... Um, or I should say, uh, about a month before he turned 17, about 38 days beforehand, um, he enlisted in the Marines for the Spanish-American War. Good for his, him. His, his father was, was opposed to this, because he obviously, you know, didn't want his son, you know, joining the military, mm-hmm. um, because he wanted him to, you know, go on and do, like, a, a high-society-style job. Because at this time, there wasn't a lot of respect given to the military and being in the military. There's no, um, there's no respect for our troops? And he was also, um, he was awarded his high school diploma um, that year, even though he, he left for the Marines. Um, this this wasn't that uncommon. The, this would happen sometimes, like during World War II, when people would enlist. Um, if they were 17, they mm. would get their, they would still get their high school diplomas. I feel like that's the very least you could do for somebody who's 17 going into the military. Like, we're going to give you a diploma because you're probably going to die anyway, so. Here you go! Um... <clears throat> well, I mean, wait, 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 wait. So, I mean, like the the uh, the bar to get a diploma, like a high school diploma, in eighteen what? He's born in eighteen eighty, so eighteen like what ninety five? Pretty fucking low bar. Pretty fucking low bar, right? 
1898. Um, yeah, it's probably a pretty low bar. I, I don't know like how how like rigorous yeah, yeah. studies were. You know, he, he did he pass the the class in like school measuring? Like, <laughs> is that the... right? <laughs> Nephrology. Yeah, like there's uh, there's no. Uh, I mean, a lot of like classes that we take for high school, they don't even exist then. I mean, yeah. you, you know what I mean? I don't even think like letters have been added to math yet at this point in history, right? Was there math? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just spitting this water out. <laughs> I thought war was a racket, but I really can't add too good. <laughs> I don't know my numbers. <laughs> uh. um, he, he didn't see much action in the Spanish-American War. Um, he got deployed to Guantanamo Bay shortly after it had been taken. Um, and most of the time, he did ship duty um, on the USS New York, which was actually a sister ship um, of the Maine. Um, and he did that for about four months before returning home. And then he gained a commission as, as first lieutenant in 1899 um, before he mustered out. So Guantanamo Bay was around back then? We've been torturing people for this long? Well, they they took Guantanamo Bay, and as part of the treaty in the Spanish-American War that gave Cuba its independence, um, which was co-authored by uh, the United States, um, the United States military was given Guantanamo Bay as like a fueling station. Oh, okay. I didn't know it had been around that long. So Guantanamo Bay, and sort of the independence of Cuba, has existed as sort of this American-owned, sort of like the Panama Canal Zone, a, a America, like a piece of America that exists on Cuban soil um, for the express purpose of like the American Navy. And we also pay rent down there too, which is crazy to me. Like we pay the Cuban government rent to have Guantanamo Bay. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's sort of like a, a lease situation. A lot of um, countries do that. Um, for instance, like the the treaty that established Hong Kong was also a lease that had like a set date. That's why we're having so much trouble over there right now, dude. I mean, you leased it; you should have just bought to own. <laughs> there's no there's no buy here pay here in Hong Kong though. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying though. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine going into like a buy here pay here? But like, yeah, I'd like a, a a little bit of land. I'd like to start a country. <laughs> How much for the Taiwan and the parking lot? <laughs> what's the what's what's the what's the early what's the what's the low ball here? Seventeen five. I don't know, Chief. Looks a little banged up to me. <laughs> Got a little couple. Gonna need some upgrades. Left fender. Oh my god! Increase the value. Real estate value very low. <laughs> in um, at, sort of in eighteen ninety nine. Um, he sent off into the the fresh conflict that sort of came out of the Spanish-American War, which was the Philippine-American War, which was about putting down sort of the indigenous um, revolt against American uh, colonial rule hmm. in the Philippines. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not gloss that over. Against American colonial war in the Philippines. As, what, what as is, I've this, never heard of that before. What the hell is that? As, as part of the Spanish-American War, the United States was given the Philippines as a colony, oh. um, which was kind of, which is kind of more than they, um, like they bit off more than they could chew because um, technically it was a, a territory, and since it's a territory, 
Um, it does have the possibility of becoming a state if Congress ratified it, but Congress would have never done such because the Philippines at that time and even today, it has about a third of the population of the United States. Jesus. So for them to incorporate that into the country as, as like states, um, probably wouldn't have been one state, it would have been multiple states. Um, it, it would have just completely changed the electoral demographic of the United States to to sort of introduce um, that many people. Just Mindanao uh, state. Yeah. That's like a huge um, reason they don't want Puerto Rico to become a state too, I believe. It's just they don't want to mess with the, uh, the, the careful balance of power that Republicans have somehow cramered their way into. It's that, and it's also to do with uh, Cuba's or um, Puerto Rico's debts. <clears throat> it's it's a number of things, but but the the balance of, of power, as it were, is one big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Butler was he was delegated to garrison duty while in the Philippines. Um, at, at one point during his garrison duty, he had to be relieved of his command after an unspecified drunken incident in his room. <clears throat> <laughs> in his, wait, wait. So he's drunk in his room. An incident occurs, and after relieving him of his command, but he was in his room. He wasn't bothering anybody being drunk. Well, they, it, it's sort of that they relieved him of his command, meaning that he was he was unable to like direct people. Like he was too drunk that he couldn't he couldn't like command his men. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as being that drunk. Absolutely not. I, I would rather. <laughs> I would rather serve under someone who's just shit-faced 24-7. It'd be hilarious. Yeah, I think in the 1890s, though, like, you were issued whiskey with each suit. (laughs) So, like, every time you got a uniform, somebody just gave you a fucking dram. Ha, you you, uh, a free bottle of whiskey, yeah. See? (laughs) Actually, the buttons on your suit there, smedley, they're made of whiskey. They're they're made of whiskey. Just suck on them. Suck them a little. They're like Tide Pods. You'll find out what that is soon. But just suck on it. Melt in your mouth is whiskey. <laughs> what the hell's a Tide Pod, son? <laughs> oh, you'll find out soon. Smedley, we've got plans. Is this some Back to the Future thing? Your kids are going to love them. <laughs> no, I'm saying that capitalism started a long time ago, Steve. Jesus. Jesus. He just finds some like old-timey like patent papers with like a Tide Pod. Yeah. I don't know what's going to go in the cleaning pod, podriceps, but we'll figure. On In October of that year, in 1899, he saw combat for the first time. He led 300 Marines in taking the town of uh, Novaleta, which is west of Manila in the province of, of Cavite. Yeah, that's Cavite. Fine. That's fine. I don't know. I, I'm not Filipino. I'm, um, not, P- so- I'm not Pinoy. It was, uh, it was, it's sort of to the west of, of Manila. Um, during the assault, um, his first sergeant was wounded, um, causing Butler to panic, but he recomposed himself and, and took the town. Uh, nice. one, one Marine was killed and 10 were wounded and 50 were incapacitated by the heat. So you got wow. guys getting shot. You got guys losing limbs, getting blown up, and then you got these, these fucking clowns in the back like, it's too hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's too hot out here, guys. I need I need some more of my canteen. Does anyone have any more Gatorade? <laughs> Can I take my shirt off? It is way too hot out here, guys. I love how they have an accent that couldn't possibly have existed yet. 
you know, like they're just they're just over there. That was the original <laughs> Philly accent, actually. Hi, Ward. Hi, what's up, you guys? Benjamin Franklin. It's so cold. That's what War does to people. War does that to people. Changes them. Oh my God, Philippines, so hot here. It's got sunscreen. I feel like I'm in an apartment on the Upper West Side. <laughs> um, hey, listen, real quick. Do they call it? Do they call it a Philly <laughs> cheesesteak in Philadelphia, or do they just say I'm going to get a cheesesteak? They call it a Philly cheesesteak. Okay. I okay. mean, for the most part, you know, because they're proud of it. Like back in the day, they probably didn't, and, and there's probably some local places that sell it. But I, having just ate at Gino, at Gino's, uh, like a month and a half ago, yeah, it's a it's a Philly cheesesteak when you order it. Okay, the, that's crazy. The All Philly, right. that kind of thing. Um, during this time. Uh, Butler apparently got a large Marine Corps emblem tattoo on his chest. Um, so one that would sort of like completely like covered his chest. So the, like the anchor with the eagle and the globe, like one of those, yeah. just like completely covering his chest. Wait, so Smedley Butler had the like Conor McGregor style tattoo? Yeah. That's awesome. That, yeah, that's really crazy. Um, and he, he also became friends with uh, Littleton Waller, an older Marine officer. All right, so received... wait, wait. Stop right there. We Littleton got Littleton, Waller. Smedley, and Chesty. <laughs> These names are perfect. Continue. <laughs> well, the, the thing about that is is that Chesty is not his given name. It's a nickname. Oh, so okay. these guys get more points because it's, it's their given names. So you're saying Chesty was a, was a punk bitch who was playing off Smedley and Littleton? How do you know? I'm just saying Chesty? he had to earn his name. Uh, yeah, he was born with it. He somehow had to earn the name Chesty because that was his nickname. So what did he do I, to get the name Chesty? I think I think he sang well. I thought he was in the in the gym busting out like hardcore bench just presses. Mad reps on the <laughs> press, son. <laughs> well, you're looking Chesty today, son. Chesty ran out of weight, so he strapped two Viet Cong on each side. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking lunatic, Chesty. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Continue. <laughs> uh, uh, apparently, uh, Chesty Puller didn't know, like, why he was given the name Chesty. It was just something that uh, stuck with him. Huh. Okay. Oh. I feel like that star, the more you know, should, like, flash across the screen at me right now. It's like Shawshank Redemption. Why do they call you Red? Maybe he, it's because I'm Irish. He, he said in a note that um he said it he said this was to uh, a letter to to a major he said i agree with you 100 percent. i had done a little soldiering previous to guadalcanal and i had been called a lot of names but why chesty especially the steel part huh interesting his his birth name is lewis yeah i'd go with chesty too it sounds cooler yeah chesty lou doesn't sound cool though <laughs> um so he became friends with uh, Littleton Waller, who was an older Marine officer. Um, and Littleton uh, Waller had received a company command in Guam. And, and as, as part of his command, he got to choose five officers to take with him as, as sort of his, um, his like, under, under officers. And he chose, um, Chest- or he chose um, Smedley Butler as one of them. Um, but before they could depart... For Guam, the Boxer Rebellion had broken out, and they were dispatched to put it down. Briefly, what is the Boxer Rebellion? Is this when they were doing the thrill in Manila? Is that what this was? The Boxer Rebellion? 
the the Boxer Rebellion was sort of an, a nativist uprising in in China um, okay. against sort of foreigners and and Christians. Um, and, and these uh, boxers, they were called because a lot of them were really big into um, into Tai Chi and um, and also in sort of um, they because people in China didn't really usually follow like one religion. But right. it's usually people who subscribe to sort of traditional Chinese beliefs, you know, Confucianism, Taoism, um, Tai Chi, those those types of things. Um, and they believed that these foreigners and these missionaries were sort of destroying China and they wanted to expel them all. And they would also um, kill, usually behead, um, Chinese Christians. Damn. Um, some of the boxers, though, were Muslim. There is a large minority of Muslims in China. Uh, most of the ones who participated are what are called uh, Hui, who are sort of um, mostly ethnically um, Han, which is like the main sort of Chinese um, ethnicity. Yeah, um, Han Chinese. So, so they're, sort of, they're sort of Asian Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're sort of an intermarriage of ethnic Han, which is the main Chinese minority, and Persian traders. Um, so and they're, they're them, mostly uh... Sunni Muslims. You called them the Hui. Is that related to the Uyghurs? Uh, the the Uyghurs are their own people. They're okay. a uh, they're a Turkic Muslim people. Oh, uh, uh, okay. The the, the Hui are just a um, they're they're just sort of another Muslim group. Okay. Um. So these these boxers they begin um sort of trying to um kill everybody in what are called the foreign concessions because at this time. Um, though China was not a colony, um, other nations had what is called extraterritoriality in China, meaning that Chinese laws didn't apply to them, and that they could own territory in China, and that their territory that they owned or controlled was not a subject to Chinese law. This sounds vaguely like Hong Kong again. Well, Hong Kong was part of it, and essentially what happened was was that when Great Britain got um, the, the the treaties that, that gave them Hong Kong and, and sort of Kowloon and the other areas, they gained what was called extraterritoriality. Um, and, and then once they got extraterritoriality, all these major nations, the great powers, um, they wanted the same deal. Because uh. um, this, this allowed them to do business in China, and it also protected their people from Chinese law. Gotcha. Um, and the, the these... Um, the majors of these nations, these eight um, nations, they formed an alliance called the Eight Nation Alliance, which was the Empire of Japan, the United Kingdom, the United States, France, Russia, Germany, Italy, and Austria-Hungary. That's an interesting and, combination. And they dispatched yeah. um, troops that sort of coordinated with each other. It was very much almost like like sort of a UN action um, where all of these, these nations would come together and put down this sort of boxer rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, uh, the first place he's deployed to is, is Tianjin, which is sort of on the coast um, south um, southeast of Beijing. It's, it's generally considered to be the gate to Beijing if you come by the sea. Um, and in Tianjin, um, which was a walled city like most old large Chinese cities, um, it had been largely taken by the boxers. Um, but they were unable to to sort of breach the defenses into the foreign concession area. I just like literally can't help but visualize just a like a lemmings style war of just dudes in boxing equipment, like Western <laughs> boxing equipment with red gloves on. 
<laughs> just fighting the U.S. troops. Come on out, Medley. I've, I just can't do it. <laughs> I must be a child. I have no idea. It's just hilarious. Every time you say the boxers, I'm like... That's <laughs> 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 every time. Hold up, hold up. We're pausing the war. That's the end of the round. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> the bell goes off. Jump back in here. Let's go. There's some cool... Um, because it's like a big thing, like Marine Corps history. There's actually a fairly good um, painting of it, of them of them breaching the the city. Hmm. And wait, wait. So wh- what was Smedley? So he saw action in yes. the boxer rebellion for the first time. No, he saw action in the Philippines. This is the first. This is not the first time. This is this is like like one of the opening battles. Okay. Um, for the U.S in the the boxer rebellion okay um so the um on july 13th 1900 um the the eight nation alliance um assaulted um the the portion of the city that was held by the boxers it's generally considered to be one of the bloodiest battles of the boxer rebellion um there were 250 soldiers of the allied armies were killed and about 500 wounded Oof, that's a lot um and in this um, and in the siege, there were about um, 51,755 um, people within the eight nation armies that were um, that were fighting. Um, there were also contingents from the Netherlands, Belgium, and Spain. Okay, that's that's just crazy. It's crazy. Every time so, you say the eight nation army, I just think of the white stripes. The I know, army. I know. That's the first thing I thought of too. Wait, so uh, <laughs> if. Uh, I guess the thing I don't understand, I'm just a simple simple boy over here, uh, is where was the Chinese military? The 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 Chinese had essentially sort of uh, stood down um, at this time. Um, the Empress uh, the Empress Dowager uh, Sushi, um, she she was sort of um, pulling the strings at this time, and she is of the mindset that these that she's just going to let these boxers do their thing because she thinks that um, they'll eventually defeat. Or, or damage the the foreigners enough that they that they would leave China, but she miscalculates terribly, and, and the exact opposite happens. <laughs> so the because, boxers start losing. Well, the the boxers start losing, and then the boxers turn on themselves. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah, eventually, okay. at one point, um, so, sort of towards the end of the rebellion, the the Muslim contingents and the non-Muslim contingents just sort of start fighting with each other. Because the um, because the more um, sort of orthodox Chinese religious followers begin thinking, you know, that that Islam is an outside religion, mm-hmm. so that um, the these guys are probably why we're losing. Huh. So so they they just start infighting, and while they're infighting, the the other nations just sort of come in and and take them out. <laughs> Jeez. Um, and they they do a lot of like looting and and killing and stuff like that. Um, they when they get to Beijing it's after like a what's pub, called PUBG scenario. After, <laughs> after they get after the Gasly expedition, which is what follows next, and which Butler was involved in, um, they they siege um, Beijing and relieve the the people there. Um, and when they're there, they just start robbing all like the imperial palaces and stuff. Wow. I mean, I hate to sidetrack the whole podcast, but I'm incredibly interested in the Boxer Rebellion now. I can maybe do an episode on it in the future. 
<laughs> Let's zoom into Smedley before I get distracted too much. Um, so, uh, Smedley is on the, the Gasoline Expedition. Um, it's, like I said, it's an expedition to Beijing. Um, at this time, you know, um, it's the middle of summer. Um, it's 108 degree Fahrenheit weather. Um, and then there are, there are atrocities committed by both sides. Um, Butler had witnessed, um, while they were sort of marching, um, he had witnessed the remains of Japanese soldiers um, that had been mutilated by the Chinese. Mm-mm-mm. And when and when he was in a when they were taking up position in a trench, um, he saw a Marine officer fall and get wounded. Um, and so he didn't want that Marine to be like butchered by the by the Chinese. So he climbed out of his trench to save the guy. Um, when he does, he's shot in the thigh. Oof. And then when he's shot in the thigh, another Marine um, jumped up to help Butler, and that Marine was also shot. Um, but the, the all, all three of them are able um, to get back into um, the trench, and for that, um, Waller is, or, um, for that, Waller gives Butler, or, or sort of awards him, um, the equivalent of the Medal of Honor at that time. Um, because Butler is an officer, he's not eligible for the Medal of Honor at this time. Um, so he um, he gets sorry, what's called what? the because he's an officer at that time. Uh, the rules of the Medal of Honor, he he wasn't eligible for it. Okay, weird. Um, so he he gets what's called a brevet. Um, Waller said of him in the the description of of for why he should get the medal um, for such reward as you may deem proper. The following officers, um, Lieutenant. Smedley D. Butler for the admiral control of his men in all the fights of the week for saving a wounded man at the risk of his own life and under a very severe fire. Um, so he's given this what's called a brevet, which is a, a, a field promotion. Um, okay. And this is two weeks from his 19th birthday. He's made a captain. Jesus. Um, in, in 1921, um, the, the people who had received this uh, a, a brevet in the past um, there were about 20 of them. Um, this is the description of him being awarded the medal. The Secretary of the Navy takes pleasure in transmitting to First Lieutenant Smedley Darlington Butler, United States Marine Corps, the Brevet Medal, which is awarded in accordance with Marine Corps Order Number 26, um, parentheses 1921, for distinguished conduct and public service in the presence of the enemy while serving with the 2nd Battalion of Marines near Tianjin, China, on 13 July 1900, on 28 March 1901, First Lieutenant Butler is appointed captain by brevet to take rank from 13 July 1900. You know, it's crazy because um, I think on my 19th birthday, I was I was drunk at the Jersey Shore. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to tell you, I felt pretty great, but not as great... <laughs> As receiving the equivalent of a Medal of Honor in the middle of a war, it was it was also reported on in the San Francisco um, Call newspaper. Um, there's a little um, picture of it you can find. Uh, I believe it's on Wikipedia and elsewhere, but it, it just sort of describes him saving this man. Um, it, it shows him in like a in like a in like the water. Wow. Um, so I'm guessing the the trench they were in was actually like a moat. Hmm. That's crazy, man. Just imagine the balls it takes to jump out of your, not foxhole, I guess foxhole, 
whatever. It would be a trench. 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 Right? You jump out of your fucking trench after your boy gets shot to protect your boy. And then, what? Ha- who's the third guy? Did the third guy get the same award? Uh, I think only Butler did. That's fucked up. Wow. Dude, I am going to make t-shirts for the third guy. What's his name? What's his name? Who, is it, is, I don't is know it, his name. It's pro- let's let's right, like, make, let's, 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 let's <laughs> just draw straws here. We'll just do like can we get AI name generator going? Well, it says it, it says uh, in the description I read it said four enlisted men would receive the medal of honor in the battle, so maybe one of them did. Okay. 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 That's but, okay. But Butler to... was ineligible for cuz he was a commissioned officer, so he couldn't get the medal of honor. That's so dumb. That's so That's weird. Dumb. I don't get that. That's weird. It's probably something. I don't know. So anyway, he's 19 and he's a captain in the Marines? Or the yeah, Army? After this, um, he, he takes place in what are called the, the Banana Wars. <laughs> um, the Banana Wars were... Uh, I did that shit too. <laughs> Donkey Kong we're, Country. We're sort of a series of wars that were fought. Um, sort of interventionist actions by the United <laughs> States... Um, from the Spanish-American War up to um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's um, the Good Neighbor Policy of 1934, um, it, and what this do these banana what, wars have anything to do with like Dole? Uh, it has to do with the United Fruit Company. Okay, is that um, like it, a subsidiary of Dole Fruits or something? Well, no, the United <laughs> United Fruit Company is the company that like owns them all. Owns 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 like all the. Fruit I believe companies? they I believe they owned Dole at that time. Uh, okay okay. Um, but they were like the largest fruit company in America, at that time, um, and they they sort of had um, all of these like sort of um, operations in in all these like Latin American and Caribbean countries, and and they call them the Banana Wars, because most of these wars were fought for um, the fruit companies. Um, so, so United Fruit, um, it, for instance, they owned um, Chiquita. Wait, let's say that one more time. Where they became most of Chiquita. these wars were fought for the fruit companies. Not yeah, much has the, changed. It's just nowadays, it's like the oil and gas companies. The yeah, fruit yeah. companies, the the sugar, the sugar industry. Um, so, it, United Fruit Company eventually becomes Chiquita Brands International. Um, they they become that in 1984. Um, their their rival though is the Standard Fruit Company, um, which becomes the Dole Fruit Company. There you go. There it is. Or the Dole Food Company. Um, and so these these sort of uh, companies they they sort of press congressmen and and the United States government to to sort of intervene in these countries when they believe that the governments there are not going to be beneficial to them. Um, sort of like the same things that happen, you know, in the 60s and, and later on, and arguably are still happening today, is that when a, a sort of a foreign nation decides that they're going to, to raise taxes or they're going to put restrictions on foreign companies, um, they will push, at this time it's the U.S. military, um, to sort of go in there um, to to do a coup d'etat, to, to sort of take out the, the president there, or to aid um, whoever, whichever dictator those companies have sort of put into power. So you mean like the CIA, what the CIA does? Uh, uh, the, the CIA kind of takes over that portfolio, uh, but at this time, you know, the FBI doesn't even exist. Uh, okay, so we're not even, okay, I got you. Like, we're not even in the Hoover days then, okay. It is, yeah. it's not as nuanced as it is, like, later on. It, it's very much like the military literally goes in and, like, 
drags the other guy out of the office or, or, or shoots him and then they put somebody else in charge. Gotcha, gotcha. And and the good neighbor policy of 1934 um, was essentially Roosevelt said that they weren't going to intervene in the domestic policies of Latin American and Caribbean nations. What'd they do after that? What, after the good neighbor policy? Yeah, didn't they immediately intervene? In the economic policies of Latin uh, Caribbean, yeah, generally they, they <laughs> so, mostly stick to it. Very and then United future States administrations <laughs> don't. Um, at Re- Roosevelt mostly does this, I think, um, to sort of win over um, sort of these um, South American countries instead of you know they can't really afford um, to spend money on these these sort of uh, wars in Latin America and in the Caribbean to to prop up these these American companies. Um, so he sort of commits to that. Um, Roosevelt also commits to um, Philippine independence. Um, the Philippines was actually supposed to become independent in 1941, um, but because of the World War II breaking out, um, mm-hmm. Phil- the Philippines couldn't become independent on the on the track that they had set up. Why? Uh, because the Japanese had invaded them. Okay. Yeah, right. The Japanese were in control. I was going to ask who was the uh, colonial power. Um, and during this period, um, early on, this is when, um, Butler gets married. Um, he, he marries uh, a woman named Ethel Conway Peters, um, and they they get married in, uh, Bayhead, New Jersey on June 30th. Bayhead. Yeah. I know people from Bayhead. Um, (laughs) I don't know anybody from fucking Bayhead. They, they would eventually have a daughter and two sons. Okay, good for them. Good for them. Two like, kids uh, or three kids. Sorry, three kids. Um, Butler would be active in Honduras, Nicaragua, Mexico, and Haiti. Um, in, in 1914, uh, March 1st, 1914, Butler went on a spy mission in Veracruz, Mexico, um, to determine the military readiness of Mexico in the event that they invaded the United States. Wow, was that a serious um, at, like a serious concern back then? Uh, it it was. Um, the essentially the president at that time, um, who was a sort of a military dictator, um, Huerta, um, he had sort of designs on um, uh, possibly invading the United States and, and retaking back um, territory that had been lost. Um, mm-hmm. and, and at that Texas. time, to, <laughs> and at that time, you have to remember um, that the balance of power between the two countries was not that different. Um, the United States didn't really have a large military at that time point. Um, hmm. So Mexico was a, a viable threat because you don't have the large military industrial complex mm-hmm. in the United States at that time point. Not yet, um, it's coming. But as, but as part of his spy mission, um, oh, Lord, he, he, coming. <laughs> he disguised himself as a railroad official named Mr. Johnson. And one of the... Steve, you was, cut out there for a second. You said he disguised himself as a railroad a railroad official. Oh, okay. Named uh, Mr. Johnson. So, what was his first name? Or I did he introduce think... himself to people like, "Hi, I'm Mr. Johnson." Like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, well, the I believe it's the wife of the ambassador. Um, it, her name was Edith O'Shaughnessy, or she was the wife of a diplomat in Mexico, and she wrote a book about her time there. Hmm. Um, her her note for March fifth was. As I was reading last night, waiting for dinner to be served, a visitant 
rather than a visitor, appeared in my drawing room incognito, a simple, quote-unquote, Mr. Johnson, eager, intrepid, dynamic, efficient, unshaven. That's awesome. Dude, that's what I want on my fucking tombstone. Unshaven. Eager, Um, efficient, intrepid, unshaven jerk. He, um... (laughs) So Bugler does find that Mexico is sort of preparing itself to possibly invade the United States, um, but this this is all sort of um, sort of canceled because around this time a, a civil war breaks out in Mexico. Like for instance, if you've heard of uh, Pancho Villa, this is this is that like civil war. That's oh. awesome. Isn't that the guy from the coffee can? The Folgers man? He's no, Colombian, you racist. <laughs> Folgers! <laughs> There's nobody on the Folgers can. No, it's, not, it's, it's Colombia, isn't it? Isn't it just Colombia coffee? I thought, I mean, I thought it was Pancho Villa on the coffee can. No. I know it's not Folgers, though. I can't remember what brand it is. I'm sure somebody's screaming their head off listening to this, like, you racist fuck. <laughs> it's Sanka, you stupid bitch. Jesus. Don Pablo. Don Pablo, okay. Cafe de Colombia. Yeah, that stuff. Okay, that, Okay. yeah, Colombia makes sense. Oh, I've never heard of that coffee. Is it good? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Uh, <laughs> I think that's actually just the logo. Um, for for 100% Colombian coffee is the 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 sort of uh, ranchero type guy. I mean, it's a cool fucking logo. I'm not gonna lie. And then Don Pablo is very similar. Um, so the civil war breaks out, and there's also a lot of fears at this time too, because you have to remember in 1914, World War One is kicking off. Mm-hmm. And at this time, there was a lot of anxiety because countries were just sort of jumping into this war. Um, there was a possibility that Mexico, um, under the right circumstances, could jump into the war um, at Germany's behest um, to invade the United States. Um, okay. the, the British eventually uh, make a fake telegram that they leaked to the United States called the Zimmerman Telegram. The Zimzamgram? Yeah, the Zimzamgram. Oh, God. Which was all flim flame. <laughs> <laughs> okay, side note. Juan Valdez is the guy that the Ranchero's based on. Ah, That's okay. his name, Juan Valdez. Um, Makes sense. And, and, and on April 21st, 1914, because um, the, the Marines are just sort of, um, they're, they're on a ship just sort of patrolling around the coast of Mexico, um, keeping an eye on things. Wreaking havoc, um, they, as Marines they, do. They send, they, they send in... Uh, um, Butler and, and a group of Marines um, to Veracruz to intercept an armed shipment. At, at this time, there was a bit of a bit of a problem because there was what's called the the Tapico affair, which was where um, a group of Marines had gone ashore to Mexico to buy gas, and they were they were sort of um, taken prisoner. What? Um, that these these Marines they had gone ashore. Um, the Mexican military um, sort of takes them prisoner as part of this like international incident why uh because they're american that that just like what like <laughs> they it, it's it's sort of like the thing where like you know like how north korea will just like take take some random person like prisoner 
Oh, so it's kind of like uh, DWB here in America. Driving while black. Oh, God. <laughs> the cops will just yank you. I not But it, it's just sort of that the Americans, you know, they, they're suspicious of them, so they just automatically arrest them. That's bullshit. I'm starting to see the plight of the minorities now that I'm being oppressed. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I didn't realize until I learned the story of American imperialism. What Dude. you suffer through. <laughs> it wasn't until my people suffered. <laughs> God damn it. So he's he sent to Veracruz because largely the policy that Woodrow Wilson takes, um, who's president at this time, is that they're, they're just going to sort of focus on the port of Veracruz um, because that's where most of the shipping goes into. Mm. And then that way they can sort of keep a, keep a watch on things. Um, but they send in uh, Butler and some men to, to intercept the arms shipment. Um, during the the battle that happens, um, he's awarded um, the Medal of Honor, um, and so at this at this point he can be awarded for it because he's not a commissioned officer. It says um, for distinguished conduct in battle, engagement of Veracruz, twenty second April nineteen fourteen. Major Butler was eminent and conspicuous in command of his battalion. He exhibited courage and skill in leading his men through the action of the 22nd and in the final occupation of the city. Um, Butler didn't really feel like he was deserving of the medal, um, but he was told um, to keep it and wear it after he um, after he asked to give it back. Just no, put it wear on. It. <laughs> wear it! We all gotta do what we gotta do. That man includes wearing a medal you don't think you deserve. Yeah. Well, Smedley. doesn't like a medal. Um, the the next big engagement he's in after this is in Haiti. Um, so in in, in Haiti in, in 1915, um, the Haitian president uh, Vilbron uh, Guillaume uh, Somme was uh, killed by a mob. Um, he was he was sort of um, I, I believe he was beaten to death by this mob. Good God! And and at this time in Haiti. Um, Haiti just constantly goes through like presidents and leaders. Oh, that's um, the worst, there's, dude. There's, there's different coups and counter-coups, uh, and, and some of it is orchestrated by outside forces, some of it is domestic, um, but, but the political situation in Haiti um, throughout most of its history is, is very chaotic. Um, but Major Butler is dispatched to help restore order there. Um, on October 24, 1915, um, his patrol of 44 men is ambushed by 400 uh, cat cows, which are the what they call the, um, the 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 sort of rebels at this time. Haitian rebels. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Butler and his men they're able to maintain the perimeter through the night, and, and in the morning they're able to run off the the cat cows. Um, they 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 sort of divide themselves up in a in a manner similar to how um, the the Chinese do during the. Um, during the Korean War, um, where they're able to take on a much larger force by making themselves seem larger by by splitting off into smaller groups and attacking multiple sections at once. Smart. Um, on November 17, 1915, um, he gains a second Medal of Honor, um, which he's the only other Marine besides a, a man named Dan Daly. Um, or Daly. Uh, Dan Daly is the guy who said... Um, He's the one that said, you know, do you want to live forever? <laughs> He's in, in World War One when they were sort of uh, leaving the trench. Yeah, I'm not he, familiar. He said, you know, come on, you sons of bitches, you want to live forever? 
Nice. Uh, I've never I've never heard that quote before. Um, he so he's one of the only two Marines who have won two medals um, two medals of honor in two separate um, different engagements. Hmm. Um, and, and during this, they're, they're sort of going around that there are sort of these old fortresses around um, Haiti, um, left over by the French and some built afterwards. Um, and the, the rebels have sort of holed up in these, and they're, they're sort of clearing them out. Um, and here's the description on his uh, for his commendation. Uh, for ex- extraordinary heroism and action as commanding officer of detachments from the 15th, or from the 5th, 13th, and 23rd companies, and the Marine and Sailor Detachment from the USS Connecticut, Major Butler led the attack on Fort Rivier, Haiti, 17 November 1915. Following a concentrated drive, several different detachments of Marines gradually closed in on the old French Bastion Fort in an effort to cut off all avenues of retreat for the Cacao Bandits. Reaching the fort on the southern side, where there was a small opening in the wall, Major Butler gave the signal to attack, and Marines from the 15th Company poured through the breach, engaged the Cacaos in hand-to-hand combat, took the bastion, and crushed the Cacao resistance. Throughout the perilous action, Major Butler was conspicuous for his bravery and forceful leadership. Um, after this, Butler was um, also went on to, to organize and be a commanding officer of the, the Gendarmerie of um, de Haiti, which is sort of the military police of Haiti, yeah. Um, which was sort of the um, the 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 police of the uh, directly under the dictator in control of Haiti at that time. Crazy. Because um, at this time, um, the the dictator of Haiti is like U.S. friendly, so very much in like a CIA School of the Americas fashion. Um, they're they're training these these sort of domestic police forces um, to sort of keep peace and order. Uh, meaning that they just eliminate these domestic threats to U.S. interests, and, and also the dictatorship. Yeah, I was just yeah. Um, after this, um, World War One breaks out. Um, he had wanted a a combat command in the Western Front, um, but his superiors considered him unreliable. What Butler? The um, man who mainly, won multiple medals of okay, but he's unreliable. What? Okay. The, the essentially, the the idea is is that he's not fit to have like a large um, command role um, because of the way he behaves. He's he's very brash. Um, he he just like speaks his mind all the time. He gets drunk a lot. Um, okay, uh, we're doing a podcast on Smedley Butler, not me. <laughs> He's, he's very, I'm in this photo Facebook, and I don't like it. He's very he's very foul mouthed at the time. He, he essentially I don't like these fucking to... biscuits, <laughs> dude. We're he's in all these fucking world. grits as he just like throws the throws the bowl we're across eat, the mess. We're hall. eating chow, Smedley. Relax. I don't give a flying fuck what we're eating. <laughs> this tastes like shit. Why is everything bananas? We fought the banana war. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of Where's fucking banana Where's the goddamn brain. meat? Um, and, and this is a thing that sort of follows him for most of his career, um, because he doesn't really know how to behave like an officer. Um, while, while he's good in combat, he's not very good at, at being an officer, which, like, 90% of being, like, a high-ranking officer is just being an administrator. Right. Like, Eisenhower was made a five-star general, not because, like, Eisenhower 
would like get in there and fight like a madman like eisenhower got that because he's a good leader who knows how to like sort of manage things he knows he knows how to tell people what to do yeah yeah essentially and he knows he he knows how to handle things and he knows how to like like handle all all forms of uh sort of like paperwork and things like that as well um it's one of those things too where like people say like rommel is actually a terrible general um, because Rommel was was awful at, at having his supply lines, mm-hmm. and like you're, it doesn't matter like how good of a fighter you are and how genius your like your strategies are in combat if you don't have any like supply. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The next thing we're going to do is flank on the west side, uh, <laughs> Mr. Rommel. Sir, we're out of fuel. Where's the fuel? Where is it? Where is the fuel? I told you to pay attention. There, there were battles in World War II where the Germans like literally ran out of gas in the middle of the battle and their tanks couldn't drive anymore. (laughs) These fucking Volkswagens. But he is he is given a post in uh, in France during World War One. He commands. Camp uh, uh, Pontenezin. I was gonna say it's all good. In, just just say it. Which is in uh, Brest, France. I'm sorry. It's where? Brest. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do Located it. Located underneath the nipple, like <laughs> just under-, under the nipple of Calais is beautiful, sunny Brest, France. Would you no, like to take more, a stroke? More like more like the newer the newer implants. You know, it's under the. It's under the breast. Okay, okay, okay. It's under the, the newer implants. It's in the middle of breast. In the province of Saline, <laughs> the breast area you is mean, known you mean, for its local mean, color. You mean Lake Saline. <laughs> Lake you're, you're kinda, Saline. You're kind of doing a Jerry Lewis there when you say it. It's like almost like, nice lady, down don't in you, breast. <laughs> don't you ever say that again. <laughs> um... But the, the camp he's in is, it's like, it's very unsanitary. Um, it's like, like everything else in World War One. it's just completely covered in mud. Um, they're, they're a little unprepared, you know. It's it's just essentially a muddy field that they've set up this, this sort of uh, camp where the American Expeditionary Force is supposed to first, like, muster at before they're sent off, either attached to um, French commands or, or sort of sent off to the front under an American command. Um, but he he sort of um, he sort of deals with this um, by introducing um, duck boards to the camp. A, a duck board is like a wooden board that they have like in the trenches and elsewhere that the soldiers can walk on mm-hmm. um, because the trenches just instantly turn to mud. Yeah, I, I, and, I've, we've all played Battlefield One. We we know what the, that trench fighting looks like. Um, and he it, it just to show like the level of like commander he is. Um, he's the first, like, he, he takes the first boards from the the port. Like, he goes down to the port and he collects um, the duck boards that they aren't using anymore mm-hmm. um, for ships. And then he repurposes them for the camps so that the soldiers um, can sort of sleep on, on sort of like a dry surface that they can put their, their tents on top of. Wow. So they have to put their heads in the mud, as, uh, as old Bubble from Forrest Gump would have said. We yeah, sleep um, our heads in the mud. As um, for his for his work, he's awarded 
Um, the, the Army Distinguished Service Medal, the Navy Distinguished Service Medal, and the French Order of the Black Star, which I believe is about equivalent to those oh, two medals. Oh, shit, dude. Dude, that's um, a rare his, medal. If you yeah. have that medal... <sighs> I mean, that's just fantastic. That just sounds cooler than the Medal of Honor. It does. You the know, Order most, of the most Black Star. pretty good, so... Or, or I should say, uh... I think I think he's back to most stuff now. Is he still uh, Yasin Bay? Yeah, Yasin Bay. I don't know. He think he's probably still Yasin Bay. That's not a change where you're just like nah, and you just go back to most stuff. <laughs> <laughs> is he back? Anyways, Black Star is good. So, Black Star is good. Yes, Medley Butler, most stuff, Yasin Bay. Um, uh, so for the the Army um, Service Medal, um, the President of the United States of America, authorized by. Act of Congress, July 9th, 1918, takes pleasure in presenting the Army Distinguished Service Medal to Brigadier General Smedley Darlington Butler, United States Marine Corps, for exceptional, exceptionally meritorious and distinguished service to the government of the United States in a duty of great responsibility during World War One. Brigadier yeah. General Butler, commanded with ability and energy, Pontenazan Camp at Brest, during the time in which it was developed into the largest embarkment camp in the world. Confronted with problems of extraordinary magnitude in supervising the reception, entertainment, and departure of the large numbers of officers and soldiers passing through the camp, he has solved all with conspicuous success, performing services of the highest character for the American Expeditionary Forces. What a nice um, guy. The, the Navy one says about the same. But I think... I'm starting to get the feeling that the reason he's getting so many awards is so he'll like go the fuck away because people don't like him. Well, he he sort of talks about that too in in War is a Racket. Yeah, is is that the military is like built on awards? I'm sorry, it's built on what? You kind of cut oh, out there. Awards. Uh, awards. It's built okay. on awards. Okay. So like achievements. You give people awards as like a, for doing a good job as as like a carrot. Yeah. You know, you get you get a gold star. Yeah. It it just oh. kind of speaks to the, the, the lizard so part maybe, of our brains where it's like, hey, you're gonna get a, a nice little star if you do this, and of course people want to do that and get that stupid little prize. Yeah, it's like, do you remember that game? What was it uh, Geometry Wars? Was that the game that came the free like shooter game that came with Xbox Live? It's like uh, a bullet hell game. Yeah, I did, yeah. I think so. Yeah, and I try. You had to get that one pacifist achievement where, like, you had to spend one minute without getting hit by anything or shooting. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I fucking remember it because I it took fucking forever for me to get it. <laughs> but it's it's essentially a, it's it's achievements, uh, trophies, like what have you, um, for for the military. Okay. Right. Yes. So that's 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 why they just like give out these medals. And like if you do a good job, it's not like hard to get one of those those medals. Um not 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 to like talk them down. Yeah, you're not diminishing like, it. Not, not not yeah, not to diminish it, but like like some of these medals like if you if you do a good enough job, like they'll give you a medal. It's not like it, it's not like the medal of honor is now like you got to you got to like kill like 10 men with a shovel and then like <laughs> <laughs> Which there there is a guy in Vietnam who does that, and he he, he gained the nickname Easy Tool. Oh my because, god! Because he killed, right here. Tool. because he killed like fifteen Viet Cong with with the shovel which they use, which is one of those like folding shovels. Yeah, which the is spade. Easy Tool. That like spade thing. Yeah, you can yeah. order them. You can get them on Amazon right now. Yeah, all the doomsday preppers are buying them up. 
Um, no. After the war, since he did such a good job at, at sort of managing the camp, um, he goes on to be um, the commander of um, of Quantico, the the Marine base at Quantico, not the not the future, you know, FBI mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. installation. Um, and and during that time, um, he he sort of builds it up into this like big um, the, this big camp, sort of like the premier camp for the Marines. Um, and, and he's well known for for sort of taking his men and and marching them to nearby um, battlefields. And, and sort of putting on, like, reenactments of Civil War battles, like he does that in Gettysburg. What? Where he'll, like, because they're not that far from each other. Yeah. So he marches his men from, like, northern Virginia to Gettysburg, which is, like, pretty close to the border mm-hmm. in, in Pennsylvania, and then has them do, like, a, a reenactment there for, um, for guests to sort of, like, show off. Wow. Uh, what a and, dickhead. If I had a boss who was like, you just gotta go reenact these battles, get the fuck out of here. It's it's 1921. Like, what else are you gonna do other than peel potatoes and march around? At least you're marching somewhere else than around, like, the base, like, a hundred times. I guess, okay. Yeah, I mean... uh, Okay. In... In 19... um, In 1921, um, an anecdote is that um, he meets this local farmer in Virginia, um, who says that while he's sort of on maneuvers, who tells them that Stonewall Jackson's arm was buried nearby, um, which Butler disbelieves. And, and he's quoted as saying, Bosh, I will take a squad of Marines and dig up that spot to prove you wrong. Um, because Stonewall, <laughs> Stonewall Jackson had been shot at the Battle of Chancellorsville. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was wearing a, um, a rubberized raincoat. Um, and because of the dark color of the raincoat, uh, a, a sort of a guy on picket um, duty, on guard duty, um, saw him and thought he was a Union officer and shot him, um, and shot him in the arm. So his arm had to be amputated, and they buried it at this spot, which what? you can go visit. Um, there was a um, there was a memorial there made out of granite, um, but he he they, he has a bunch of Marines dig up the dig up the arm, which is in a wooden box. Um, seeing that it actually is, you know, an arm, um, he replaces it with a metal one. Um, the box, that is, not the arm. I was going to say, a metal arm was this dude from the fucking Terminator? And then he put a, um, he put a plaque on the monument, um, to memorialize it. Um, the plaque is now, um, within the Chancellorsville, um, Battlefield Visitor Center. It's not on the, the granite, um, the granite statue anymore. I think it's an obelisk. I, I I'm pretty sure I've seen it. because um, that was that was pretty common in the the Civil War because they did a lot of amputations mm-hmm. where they would just like bury the limb. That's crazy. I didn't realize that that they would just bury the limb if like cut it off and fuck it, no trash, just bury that shit. A, a lot of times, you know, it would just be like sort of like like throwing a bunch of bodies in a trench. It would it would be a similar thing where they would just like put all the limbs on a pile and then just bury them. Oh, that's so... Ugh. Okay. Um, a- a- around this time in 1924, um, his father convinces him um, to, to take a leave from the Corps and become the, the director of public safety for the city of Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Does he um, run the police? To, yeah, he would sort of be in charge of the, the police. Um, and you have to remember at this time in 1924... Um, this is when prohibition is going on. Mm-hmm. 
so he essentially becomes a, a sort of a, a prohibition um, enforcer. Oh, uh, okay. And this is still before the FBI and all that has been started, right? I believe this is around the time that the FBI um, had been founded. Because mm-hmm, I know that they did a lot of that um, booze enforcing. Because the, F- the FBI was formed in 1908, so it, it had been around. Okay, okay, so they've been around for a minute. J. Edgar is not an unknown person. Okay. Yeah, so so J. Edgar is, is dancing around in a dress at this time. <laughs> which is fine, so which we're pretty. okay with. <laughs> just just doing the jitterbug with his... Uh, I'd be okay with him being a crossdresser, or I'm not even sure if that's the right term, but whatever. Um, if he wasn't a racist. Well, he, he wasn't just a racist, too. It, it's also the fact that it's it's pretty that he was either um, that, that he was most likely either a, a homosexual or, or at least like a celibate like homosexual. I thought that um, he was a homosexual like for sure, a hundred percent. It it hasn't been confirmed if he actually like consummated his relationship with his like lifelong like guy friend. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's like a whole big thing where like you can't really confirm what it was. It's very complex because a lot of it is secret. Yeah. Of so, so you sort of have to piece things together, and it's kind of difficult when you're talking about someone's so, sexuality. Let's be clear here. I was I was throwing him under the bus, saying it's okay. Like I'd, I'd be okay with all that stuff. Like if I, you know, but he's a racist. But he was also a homosexual, which is also not a bad thing. Unlike being a racist, which is an awful thing. Yeah, but back in the day, but he would, they're not going to draw a line at a racist. And be no, no, but at the, at the, oh, that's what you're saying. You're saying yeah, at but, the time, being gay was worse than being racist? Well, no, what I'm, what I'm saying is is that he would he, he essentially like destroyed people's lives by threatening to like out them. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. he would, that he would a use huge hypocrite. Okay. people's sexuality as like a weapon to destroy them because he was just like he was just out of control, just like phone tapping people, yep. wiretapping, doing like having like agents break into people's houses and like rummage through their things and plant bugs and stuff like that. Jeez. Out of fucking control. Um. So so he's just like a big old terrible hypocrite, but. Luckily for us, um, Smedley Butler is on the gangster squad in, in Philadelphia, um, and and sort of um, sort of mirroring what happens like today and seems to happen like all the time in history, um, is that um, Butler goes on to sort of militarize the police force in Philadelphia. Um, he just completely like moves around officers and units. Um, he does this to sort of stamp out corruption. So he moves um, sort of corrupt officers away from their power bases. And then he also moves units away from areas that they might be um, uh, sort of compromised in. Hmm, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, and, and he works on shutting down speakeasies. Um, he, he shut down 900 alleged speakeasies. Oh, yeah, go fuck yourself, Smedley. Um, and, and because of his um, heavy-handed tactics, um, he was unpopular. And, and also, as I said before, he was also well-known for his foul language and public addresses, um, which was frowned upon. <laughs> Once again, we need to stop doing the podcast, may, stop making it about me, and make it back about Smelly <laughs> And now, coming to the podium, Major Super Mega Ultra General Smedley Butler. 
Hello, fuckers. Um, uh, <laughs> he, I he see also, there's a lot of cunts in the audience today. He, he also introduces a uniform Jesus. to the... To the um, to, to the police force in Philadelphia that's very similar to like the Marine Corps uniform um, and then he also um, he gives himself like armored cars um, things like that in order to fight um, to sort of fight the gangsters he also gets in trouble because he when he first starts he encourages um, he encourages the police to like shoot what he calls bandits hmm and he says, like, I know there's some officers here that don't have notches, don't have bandit notches on their pistols. And, and like, the, the first the first man who does so, like, I'll, I'll give them a reward. Mm, this Ugh. sounds problematic. How long did that shit go on? So, he's he's eventually fired, so he only has this position for about two years. Um, okay, after two the years. first year... Two years? Uh, That's so a lot of fucking time to have, like, a lunatic in charge. <laughs> Well, first fast year. forward, fast forward, <laughs> fast forward about a hundred years. <laughs> I know. Um, oh god, a competent lunatic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Different. Um, <laughs> he, he's after the first year, they they essentially are, are going to like let him like not renew his contract, but enough like he has enough supporters in the public at that time that the mayor um, decides to renew it, and then afterwards, because the mayor was still sympathetic to him. But Butler says some things afterwards, um, closer to the end of his second term, that the mayor just essentially fires him. What did he say? Do we know? He, he just essentially said that he was going to finish the job regardless of what people thought, and like, just essentially saying he didn't care about what the mayor thought. But in Smedley's talk, it'd be like, hey, go fuck yourself. How's that sound? <laughs> um, in... In 1927, I'm gonna do what I need to do, and you can go fuck yourself if you don't like it. Okay, I'm Smedley oh, Butler. Oh, I'm fired. I don't really give a shit. I'm Smedley <laughs> fucking Butler. I got 16 medals of honor and 42 arms. I'm gonna go over there and fuck shit up, and you're not gonna stop me. You know, I. You can't fire me because I fucking quit. Fuck you. Well, he fuck said you. the opposite. He said you can't fire me because I work here now. That's what I he am said. The law. I am the law. I am the law. I am the law. That's what he said. I am the law. So, uh, Him and fun uh, trilateral, trilateral troika uh, fact. My mom gave uh, Sylvester Stallone his first credit card. No what? shit. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. How how underwater did he get on it? Uh, she <laughs> won't say. She's uh, you know. Titanic levels of underwater. <laughs> never, I've never asked her. I'm like, did you have to like go collect on him with the repo man? Uh, this Rocky film's gonna make it. It's gonna pay back my whole balance. Yo, how crazy would it be to like work for a repo place and have to go take take something from somebody and you notice it's like somebody who's supposedly really rich and they're just like totally upside down, just haven't paid their bills on it. That would be, be so crazy. That would be absolutely. Well, crazy. my, uh, I, I would, um, I, I would just sort of wonder, you know, it, it would probably only be bad, you know, if his mom or, um, or, or Frank Stallone got their got their hands on it. <laughs> Frank Stallone. Frank Stallone sings the oldies, only golden tracks. You know about that, right? You know, like Frank yeah. Stallone's like a crooner. Yeah. Okay, it's fantastic. We should do an episode just on Frank Stallone. <laughs> Well within our wheelhouse. <laughs> I just choked well. on some whiskey. Um, and so Butler goes back to the Marines after that. 
um, and he um, he serves um, in command of the Marine Expeditionary Force in China, um, stationed in Tianjin uh, from 1927 to 1929. They they were referred to as the China Marines. The China uh, Marines, okay. They they protected U.S. interests by exerting um, by by exerting influence on local generals and warlords. Um, at this time, um, China is sort of divided up by warlords. No one's really in control of the country. Um, so you, you sort of have to fly with these sort of like mini countries that are ruled um, by, by despots, usually um, self-appointed or, or former generals of the national government or the nationalists um, that, that sort of want to become the leader of all of China or just want to sort of run their personal area as like warlords. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like very Afghanistan-ish. Yeah, it's, it's very similar um, to like what goes on later on in places like Lebanon, um, Afghanistan, Somalia, um, just just sort of like failed states where just like a general sort of controls an area of territory. Um, some of these generals even like print their own money and stuff like that. Whew, that's brash. <laughs> Very. Um, it, a- after this, he, he returns to the U.S. and he's promoted to major general at 48. Uh, making him the youngest major general of the Marine Corps. Oh, go smedley. Um, he he directed Quantico from then until his retirement in 1931, um, and he had made um, Quantico at that time, as I mentioned, he had made it into sort of the showplace of the Marine Corps. Um, and we're not it, once again, we're not talking about FBI's Quantico, right? Yes. Um, he, he eventually retires in 1931 because in um, on July 8th of 1930. Uh, Marine Corps Commandant Major General uh, Wendell C. Neville dies. Um, and so Shit. Guys, they need to find a new commandant. <laughs> These names, I just get... I'm not saying you're using a name generator. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like you there's no fucking way that these are all real names like i believe smedley butler like okay you'll get me with that one you know funky butt loving and all that but I, some of these are just way too out there to believe it sounds like uh those fake baseball player names on the uh like that japanese famicom baseball game oh yes that's exactly what these names sound like so they they need to choose a new commandant um, Butler is one of the candidates, along with uh, John Lejeune of, of Camp Lejeune fame. Uh, camp Lejeune is like one of the main places where if you go into the Marine Corps where you do your boot camp. Oh, yeah. Um, Every Marine I know has been through Lejeune. That's if you're uh, on the West Coast, right? Because on the East Coast is Paris Island. Camp yeah. Lejeune's on, camp Lejeune's camp- on the East Coast. Is it? Oh, I thought Camp Lejeune was in San Diego. I think you're right, actually. I think... I think uh, I, I think, think Camp Lejeune is on the west coast, and I Island. think if you if you're oh, no on like shit. the east side of the country, you get sent to Paris Island, and if you're on the west side of the country, you get sent to Camp Lejeune. Camp Camp Lejeune's in North Carolina. It's, it's in North Carolina. Yeah, because my cousin went there. Okay, so I'm oh. completely wrong about that, but I thought Paris Island. Neither was of us know shit. Where, uh, anyway, Paris, in any event, Paris Island's in South Carolina. Yeah. Oh, okay, so it's like a flip of a coin then. So. He's also in the running with, um, I mentioned, he's also in the running with uh, John Lejeune, um, Josephus Daniels. Josephus? Josephus. Yeah, Josephus. Jo- Josephus. Jo- Josephus. Um, is a Josephus. Biblical, that's a biblical name. Uh, ben H. Fuller and John H. Russell Jr. 
these uh, seem more normal names. Here we go. Yeah, these are because Americans. of um, Butler's <laughs> public clashes with the mayor of Philadelphia, um, his own reliability that that he that sort of followed him in his career, um, and a controversy involving him um, publicly recounting rumors that Mussolini had hit and killed a child with his car, um, <laughs> sort, sort of cost him the position. You can't say um, that about Benitz. You God, can't so say it. it. In his Jake. official capacity, he had said like this sort of gossip that Mussolini had had hit and killed um, a child with his car, and it had been covered up. Listen, yeah. Benny Muscle Man over there, he hit that kid. I saw him. goddammit. it! I'm just saying it's a different like country. Di- Benny the, the, Muscle Man. <laughs> Benito Mussolini. I like. Uh, <laughs> Benny Muscle Man. <laughs> uh, Benny Muscles. I like uh, the idea that uh, you know we've we've gotten better with this whole thing because I believe Matthew Matthew Broderick also killed a child with his car. <laughs> you don't hear about that. You know. Um, I I, I uh, well I don't know how he old did. the person was. Bruce oh. Jenner killed somebody with a car. That's true. Well, they true. well they just have that thing too where the. Uh, one of the diplomatic corps in Great Britain hit and killed um, a, a British national with their car. And, I feel and like Trump, it, Trump tried to buy off the parents. I feel like at this oh point they're doing God, it on purpose really? just to see if they can get away with it. Fuck yeah, he hell. like uh, apparently during. Why is the meeting, that not in the goddamn news? Uh, it, it was. Hmm. It, it's like been. In, I guess it's like it, it doesn't get reported as much, but uh, allegedly what happened was. Was he? He sat them down and he like asked them for a price, and he said he would have the State Department cut them a check. And then there was another instance. I don't know if it's the same instance, but the guy that hit and killed their son, he was like, "I want you to talk to the guy and like talk this over with him." And oh, like, oh apparently he was in like the next room. Like he was like, "We got the guy what? who killed your, killed your son. He's in the next room. I want you to talk to him. He's a swell guy. We can work this out." All right, we're gonna go ahead and just stop talking about that before I get upset. <laughs> before you get what? Jesus! Before I mean, you, like, before, before I like go lose into, my find the screaming be- pillow. Before I lose my uh, generally, you know, my. Uh, <laughs> my high rank just relaxation right now and i go all smedley butler about it <laughs> um you go, you go all late late stage smedley butler which we'll get to um in in 1930 in, in 1931 um in may 1931 butler is commissioned by the governor of oregon this is when he's still in the marine corps um the governor of oregon julius l meyer um to found the oregon state police which which butler does um, Butler, wait, uh, wait, wait. Smedley Butler found founded the, the Oregon State Police? Yeah. I'm oh, that's like awful. Smedley a lot less that's, now. That's awful. I'm, I'm starting to like him a lot less. We, lot we, less. we are going to do an episode about Oregon at some point, but this is my like, God. Oregon's like not as bad during this period, but it's still bad. Ugh. Um, it, on October 1st, 1931, um, Butler retires from the Corps. Um, and, and during this time, he begins making uh, speeches and public appearances as he tours the lecture circuits and the Western United States. Um, it, he attempts to run for Senate in 1932 as a Republican. Um, his his family had been like a Republican political family, um, but he loses in the April 26, 1932 primary with only 37.5 uh, percent of the vote. 
um, against the incumbent, who is Senator uh, James J. Davis. Hmm. Um, in, in 1932, um, and when the Bonus Army um, protest sort of breaks out in Washington, D.C., um, he goes and speaks with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bonus Army was about um, 43,000 marchers, um, 17,000 of whom were World War One veterans, um, their families and affiliated groups. Um, they, they protested in Washington, D.C. Um, over um, what had to do with the World War Adjusted Compensation Act of 1924. Mm-hmm. And, and sort of a, a story as old as time is that um, Beauty and the sort Beast. of after after the war's over, uh, governments don't really take care of their soldiers as well as they should. I'm sorry, and Disney Plus just came out. I'm, I got Disney Plus on the brain. Beauty and the Beast. My life is over. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Um, so, in, in order to remedy this, in, in 1924, they passed what's called the World War Adjusted Compensation Act, which was this act that said that the United States government would give veterans um, what was called a service voucher, which was essentially like a bond. And this bond could be redeemed in 20 years. Um, so in 1945, um, this bond could be redeemed, and it would give the, the soldiers some money. Okay. Is that what it said on it? You will we'll receive you the amount of some money. This is money now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to call J.G. Wentworth. <laughs> so the, the World War Adjusted Compensation Act, or the Bonus Act, um, it, it awarded... Um, veterans uh, a sort of a credit that um, between April 5th 1917 and July 1st 1919 um, they were awarded one dollar for each served in the United States and one dollar 25 cents for each day served abroad uh, it's at a maximum payment of five at five hundred dollars um, which is approximately um, seventy two hundred and fifty dollars in 2018 money that's, that's like it. garbage man that's terrible um, so, for a veteran who served stateside, and six six twenty four um, six twenty five for a veteran who served overseas. Um, uh, most officers and anyone whose service began after November eleventh, nineteen eighteen, um, were excluded. Um, it, if if it was less than fifty dollars, you got an immediate payout. Um, if an estate of a deceased veteran could be paid um, his award immediately, if the amount was less than five hundred dollars. And then all others sort of had to wait um, uh, for these certificates, and the certificates were awarded on January 1st, 1925, um, so they would not be redeemable um, until full, until um, that serviceman's birthday in 1945. So 20 years. Yeah, they would have to wait 20 years or more. Um, Generally more because um, their birthday probably isn't on January 1st. Right. Good God, that's crazy. Um, so, um, uh, my, my great grandfather actually was part of the, uh, the, the bonus march, um, protest. Really? Um, so, so he was there, um, trilateral troika fun fact, <laughs> and on, on July 9th, so they, they, these protesters go to Washington DC and they set up camp, um, in June, um, and they will not be, um, sort of dislodged uh, until July. Um, on July, on July 19th, um, Butler goes and speaks to the protesters, um, and he, he just essentially tells them, you know, to keep it up, you know, that they're good soldiers and men, and that they're right for asking um, for what they're asking for, that the government should be taking care of them. Um, oh, and, so he's not there to, like, allay their fears. 
he's there to basically say, yeah, you should get some money. <laughs> and, and then he, he sort of tells them, too, that, you know, that not to do anything that would kill public opinions of them. So don't do anything rash. Like, pe- people are watching. Don't make yourselves look bad. You know, keep this up and you'll you'll win. Uh, but on July 28th, um, General Douglas MacArthur is sent um, to disperse um, the, the, the bonus army, um, which he does using tear gas and, and riding through the, the protester camps on, on horseback. Um, Fuck MacArthur. And, and, and they, um, they, they bulldoze like the tents and stuff too. Wow. And th- this this has a very bad effect, as you can imagine, especially with them using tear gas on oh, a bunch of men it. who fought in the First World on War. On a bunch of Americans who fought. Yeah, yeah so so a lot of like PTSD kicks in. Um, one one man actually dies because he like in the tear gas because he, he just sort of panics and he thinks that it's um poison mustard gas. gas. And, and gas, he right? just like suffocates. Jesus oh my Christ. God. Um Good job, Doug. Appreciate uh, it. But after this, um, Butler begins to get more and more um, sort of radicalized. Um, and, and on December 1933, um, he begins touring um, with a future Republican representative. He's not a representative at this point, um, James E. Uh, Van Zant, um, to recruit members uh, for the VFW, um, the veterans from foreign wars. Right. Um, so the VFW at this time... Um, because the main one from World War One is the American Legion, mm-hmm. um, the VFW sort of, sort of pops up, and they're they're sort of at odds with each other. And and Butler is not a fan of the American Legion. Um, is there it, any reason why? Um, he he says they're bought out by um, by Wall Street. That that they're sellouts. That huh. that they're not doing anything to protect the rights of American veterans, and that they're just they're just sort of self-serving. The VFW became more associated with. Uh, veterans of uh, the Second World War and the Korean War, and the American Legion sort of fell out of favor. Um, and then after Vietnam, the VFW was not as receptive to um, to Vietnamese uh, Vietnam War veterans, um, and so those veterans uh, went to the American Legion because they were they they wanted um, more people. Mm. I, I could be wrong, but it, but that's that's sort of how it was um, how it was put to me. Uh, when, it, when I was sort of explaining the politics, because my uh, my grandfather used to go to the VFW all the time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sort of like what he felt, Butler felt his job to do was he he described his mission as trying to educate the soldiers soldiers out of the sucker class. The VFW reprinted one of his speeches uh, with the title um, "You Got to Get Mad" in its magazine Foreign Service. And, and in it, he said, I, I believe in taking Wall Street by the throat and shaking it up. On on December 8th, 1933, um, he said, um, he, he said I, I have never known one leader of the American Legion who had never sold them out, and I mean it. Wow. Um, and, and, and he's sort of arguing, you know, that, that soldiers need to be protected, you know, veterans need to be protected, and that, like, the American Legion and the United States government is not doing everything it can for um, uh, veterans. And, and the VFW, sort of, at this time, um, instead of just being, like, a place with, like, a hall where soldiers can go and, like, drink and play pool or whatever, um, it, it, it's almost like a union for veterans. I was going to say, this sounds decidedly like unionization. Um, and, and Butler himself, he becomes more and more um, socialist. He actually uh, allegedly 
um, uh, his biographer says that he voted for the the socialist candidate in 1936. Wow. Um, uh, Butler is also famous for um, what's referred to as the business plot. Um, I'm, I'm well, the, not aware. Well, of the this, problem so. with the business plot is that there's just not a lot there. It, it, it's it's not really that confirmable, which is why nothing is really like done with it. Because um, in in 1934, Butler is allegedly approached by a man named Gerald P. McGuire, um, and McGuire once uh, sort of approaches Butler and, and sort of over time sells him on leading a coup to overthrow the U.S. government. Um, and he claims this plot was backed by, by J.P. Morgan Bank and prominent members of society like Prescott Bush, as in George H.W. Bush's father. Yeah. Mm. Um, Van Zant is also approached. Um, it, it's sort of like McGuire's like plan that's sort of put forward is that they're going to use uh, veterans as, as sort of this like army, and that's going to be this sort of like fascist overthrow of the United States government. Um, because at this time, you know, FDR is like very unpopular. Um, some people believe that FDR and the New Deal, that the New Deal is going to be like, is like the socialist takeover of America. Yeah. Um, essentially, the things they said about Barack Obama are the same things they said about FDR and the New Deal. Oh, yeah. Um, that it, that oh, it was yeah. just a socialist plot. I was um, there. Uh, <laughs> apparently... Apparently, there was also like a cottage industry at this time. Like, sort of like how like like saying Obama is secretly a Muslim. There was things saying that, that Rockefeller was sec- or um not Rockefeller, um Roosevelt was secretly a Jew. Of course. <laughs> like stuff like that. Um and so uh, Butler um Butler once he's approached by this, um he tells authorities about this. Um he goes and publicly speaks about it and he's interviewed at like the precursor to the House um the House Committee on Un American Activities. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that, that council doesn't exist at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sort of the precursor to that. Um, and it's sort of looked into, but, but nothing's really found into it. And, and sort of the idea is, it believed is that this, um, McGuire guy is, is sort of like a con artist. <laughs> you don't say. And that he might've possibly been trying to like, no, no one's really sure what his angle was. Um, because there are other people that were allegedly said to be involved with it, like Douglas MacArthur, but Douglas MacArthur like said it was a bunch of bullshit, and and so it's generally believed to be a hoax. Like, uh, other than the fact you know that that Prescott Bush was involved, like it, it it just sort of seems like one of those things that like a lot of things that were said don't really add up. Mm. Like saying like they they said they already had like an army of like five hundred thousand men, yeah, which that's is a like bit crazy much. and like. Yeah, it's 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 a lot, and while it is sort of like interesting and salacious, like there's just not there's just nothing there. Okay. Yeah. Um, in in 1935, um, he he sort of writes this, um, he sort of gives this speech called Common Sense. Ugh, it's, since like 2015, I would say 14. Hearing common sense just rubs me the wrong way. Just pe- when um, someone says use common is, sense, this is kind of like. Ugh. This is a this is a passage that he that sort of from an article he he put into the socialist magazine called Common Sense. Right. Oh, okay. Uh, and and in this magazine he says. Um, I spent 33 years and four months in active military service, and during that period, I spent most of my time as a high high class muscle man for big business, for Wall Street and the bankers. In short, I was a racketeer, a gangster for capitalism. 
I help make Mexico and especially Tampico safe for American oil interests in 1914. I help make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank boys to collect revenues in. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers in 1902 through 1912. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for the American sugar interests in 1916. I helped make Honduras right for the American fruit companies in 1903. In China in 1927, I helped see to it that Standard Oil went on its way unmolested. Looking back on it, I might have given Al Capone a few hints. The best he could do was to operate his racket in three districts. I operated on three continents. I like how he says, I made Honduras safe for American companies. Bitch! Eat fucking shit, you corporate stooge. Um, and then, uh, after this, around this time, he, he releases his, uh, his, his booklet, uh, War is a Racket. Wait, wait, wait. I think he... I think he was being, like, upset, Ryan. Like, I think he was actually, like... Yeah, he's, he's talking about how, he's like, afterwards... Shit. Really? He, it's he's like it's like one yeah. of those moments like at the end of the movie where he was like he was a fool he's like I was a fool I was a monster yeah like, I thought that's, I was, I thought that's I was what doing it is. good but it but it in the end I was, he still did it though you know what I mean he did do it but, but he didn't know better right he I don't think like I really feel like that's the big thing with Smedley Butler too is that like he was just he wrote, doing his military he job. wrote a book. Like, not only is he speaking about what he did and, and sort of speaking out against it, he, he writes his own book detailing, like, like what's wrong with everything and, and sort of illustrating his point that it's bad. Yeah. So he's he's sort of going, like, on this tour to, to like, sort of redeem himself for what he's done. Ah, uh, okay. Now it makes more sense. And he really goes, like, I mean, writing that book is crazy enough, but, like, going around speaking about it and it becoming, a like, a, a very popular book is, like... You know, it's one thing. It's he's, it's not it's not like where it's like you know faking out people saying Area Fifty One's where the aliens are. You know, he like yeah. legit did bullshit and knew he did it, and then was like, he fucking felt bad about it. He um, it, it it's also one of those things too where he's like that guy you know in like college who who's like a who's like a socialist or a communist like he's in the students for democratic society or whatever and then he goes on to be like a day trader <laughs> it's like the reverse of that he goes from being like in the marines to being like like a step above bernie sanders that's crazy that is crazy um and, and so he writes wars a racket um we all read wars a racket um yes. And, and sort of like a breakdown of it um, is that um, he, he sort of details like this this sort of system in which uh, America's military is used to protect the the, the interests of industrialists and, and banks and, and sort of these moneyed interests for their benefit and how it doesn't benefit the American people. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to lie. When I was reading War is a Racket, I had to keep, re- like keep putting myself in the reference of this is not talking about like current times because it fits together very well it lines up with what goes on nowadays as to what was going on back then yep and uh i just i just had to keep centering myself like reading back up and saying no he's talking about shit that happened in like the 30s and the 20s this isn't nowadays because if you read it there's passages that sound like he's talking about today 
most of his examples are from World War One as well. Um, so he, he starts it off with chapter one, which is War's a Racket. Um, he, he lays out that, you know, war industrialists and bankers are behind America's foreign policy. Um, that war warmongering are, are good for business, but bad for the average American. Because while um, that they um, they do make the companies a lot of money, but they, they cost the American taxpayer a lot more money. So, so they just contribute to our national debt while just making a small group of individuals wealthy. Um, and, in, and in chapter two, he goes into like who makes the profits. And this is, um, and he says that, you know, it's these companies that are making the profit and that the, um, the American government um, and the people are the ones paying for it. And he sort of lists, um, it, it, this whole section is just sort of a list of all these different examples of companies like what their earnings were before or after World War One, and what their earnings were during World War One, mm-hmm. um, which usually they were like four to five times higher than what they normally were. Yeah, and and they're also like sort of doing what they do today, and sort of happens all the time, like the F thirty five, where Jesus it, Christ, but, but this is more them? like they, they give the example <laughs> of that they they convince the government to like buy a dozen of these like giant wrenches which are designed, like, he says the only, like, nut that these wrenches could work for would be the turbines on the dam at Niagara Falls. Jesus goddamn Christ. Um, so they have no no practical use. Um, he says that they bought a bunch of these, like, buggies for officers instead of giving them cars or horses um, because, like, Andrew Jackson had rode in, like, one of these buggies, so it was that, that colonels would ride in these, these buggies, um, but they're never used. Like, no one uses them. They, they just, all these buggies they bought that are just, you know, storage. Uh, are you Steve, saying that they were, the United States military had a bunch of wasteful spending? I don't believe you. Steve, those bu- <laughs> Steve, those buggies got used, buddy. <laughs> they got used. I'm expecting mail delivered tomorrow. <laughs> did, you get, did you get one from Bud K? <laughs> no. No, I mean the mail trucks. Oh. <laughs> Get your, have you ever, get your Bud K uh, commemorative Andrew Jackson buggy. You, yeah, exactly. The Bud K like commemorative trail of tears Andrew Jackson buggy. Uh, on the 18th anniversary of the trolls here. No, those. Have you ever heard of that about like the postal cars? It, it's really interesting, actually. Like they bought all the the U.S. postal cars, and they're just like some of the worst cars ever made. I'm pretty sure that's going to be a future episode. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Like they get, they get like eight miles per gallon or some shit. Jesus I, Christ, that's like a that's like a Sherman tank. I think the Shermans get better than that shit. My, uh, well, I I have a relative and she worked for she was like a nurse for the VA for decades, and she said this was back when like, when like LBJ was still in the White House or like like right afterwards. Um, the the VA hospitals always had terrible air conditioning, right. and the reason why they had terrible air conditioning is because all the air conditioning units were made by a company that Lady Bird Johnson's family owned. So they got the contract for them, and they were just like shit tier, like like AC units. Jesus. Uh. Um, and then uh, mo- moving on to the sort of related chapter three, who pays the bills, um, and and this is just about how he talks about how. Um, they pass young the savings men, on to us. <laughs> young, young men um, end up paying the cost of wars, while bankers reap the benefits. Young men um, and their families. 
Um, and then, yeah, and yep. they, they go into the families. And he also talks about how the banks, like, manipulated um, Liberty Bond values. And there was just sort of this thing that all these people had bought Liberty Bonds during the war. And there, there were sort of these, these rumors that the banks generated that they would not get the full value of their Liberty Bonds, that they were depreciating in value. So they sold them at a lower value to the banks. And then the banks held on to them and cashed them in. So they would they would sell them to the bank for like eighty four dollars is one of the examples, and then the bank would cash it in when it matured at a at hundred dollars. That's such bullshit. I mean, it's the way it works, but I mean, it's such bullshit. Um, and, and they also talk about too. Like I said, this is all the thing. Like why like military recruiters are usually like the scummiest people because um, it will tell it, you anything you want to hear. Because of um, enticements of money and awards are used to push men to injure themselves. Um, just just that promise of getting a medal or a ribbon or, or, or a bonus or anything or like that. Or just flat out glory. And he mentions too like how in the Civil War and other wars that there had sort of been a, a, like a bounty system where they if they did certain things they would get paid more. Hmm. <laughs> um, that again so, doesn't sound problematic whatsoever. And, and so it pushes soldiers to like injure themselves for more money, um, and, and while um, essentially putting them in a, a state that can either ruin or end their lives. Jesus. And, and he, he talks about too that he that he would visit like military hospitals and just see all of the like the broken men, uh, mentally or physically, that are in these hospitals um, from World War One. I mean, World War One is where we started, or where we at least got the term shell shock from, which developed into PTSD. So, I mean, you got to remember, this was a barbaric time where yeah. they're beating each other with, like, clubs in a trench in, like, a fucking mud pit. And you got to understand, again, these kids are 18 years old. They're doing hand-to-hand combat in some god-awful trench, you know, thousands of miles away from their home. They don't understand why the fuck they're there. They have no idea why they're there. They, they're just, they, we're told, go go get over there. We're going to go fight the bad people. They they also live in a more, I, I would call it, like, civilized society. You know, it's not like people who lived in, like, the Civil War era where it's like, you know, it's like Red Dead Redemption out there. Yeah. Um, well, where also, like, what were the economic opportunities of most of the people who fought in those world wars if there was no war? Yeah, it would be there. They they would have low prospects. You know, you have people like my great grandfather who fought in the war. Um, he was like his family were like poor farmers in like northern New York. Like he 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 essentially joined the army just to get away from the farm. I mean, there is a reason why lower socioeconomic people are targeted by the military. It's it's a very easy way to get yourself out of you know a, a lower i don't have much going for myself status into hey this the military can train me can get me a job can get me going in life and i can quote unquote get out of poverty and well i think again i think they market it as an easy yeah they, i'm not gonna they, i don't think it's easy you know what i mean oh no no no, no. that's yeah, the only no. thing i would take on bridge with like to, i don't like using the word easy around that well the point, the thing I would say, and someone can prove me wrong on this, but I okay. kind of feel like the military You're wrong uh, sort of sets it <laughs> sets it up as like a trap, where like they they promise you like in, enticements and they promise you like like money, but they don't really give you any good like classes or any sort of good management on how to handle that money. So That's you have why somebody you see a whole who's bunch like of people eight, with brand new Camaros around military bases. <laughs> yeah, I think so you have these young guys like f- who've never seen that much money before, and they get it. It's like a lottery of sorts. 
And they don't realize, you know, that $30,000 a year isn't that much money. Because they're 18 or yeah. 19. And then, like, they just they just blow it all, and it keeps them in the military because they're like, well, I, I'm in debt or I don't have any money, and, like... I'm not saying that, like, uh, the, the vast majority of people do that, but I know people who have made shitty financial decisions, at least ostensibly, uh, after joining the military at a young age. And um, I'd say that it might be, like, almost, like, class-based, sort of? Well, I, I think it's, it is it is class-based, but I, I think it's also, like, because if you don't have money, you don't know how to handle money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but it, but it's also a thing too that I kind of feel like, and it's sort of this thing about like that like Robert McNamara got in trouble for talking about, and it's that he wanted like low, low intelligence like soldiers, people who and the, are easy to be like, hey, go and, do and the idea is is why. that the less intelligent a soldier is, like the the more ready they are to do like sort of like grunt work. Like it's it's just sort of a way of getting in people who aren't like who aren't going to end up like officers. You know, they're not going to end up like like being at a high rank by the time they get out. Like they're they're going to stay at a low rank, and their job is essentially that you know to go on patrol and to to do the shit work. Which is the vast majority of the military. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then um, at the end, he just sort of details in chapter four um, how. I should say this is the last full chapter. Um, he says um, how to smash this racket, um, and, and sort of the plan he puts forward is that um, that all the industries and moneyed individuals and politicians um, should be conscripted before soldiers. And, and his, his sort of the plan he lays out Fuck is yeah. that, they're, that they're given like mm-hmm. they're given thirty days to to consider a declaration of war. Um, so that gives them. Um, 30 days to sort of sit on it and he says um that that will sort of make them double like rethink it and they wouldn't declare war unless you know we had to it's pretty smart and then um he also has a plan that he says the ships of our navy um cannot be uh, more than 200 miles of our coastline and he says says, within 200 miles yeah okay it has to be within 200 miles of our coastline because he says like that when the navy is like abroad like say off the coast it gives the example of japan doing like military exercises you know the the japanese military then wants to do military exercises off the coast of the united states and it just causes this sort of like rivalry and tensions to flare yeah and he also uses the example of the main where he says that if if that rule had been kept you know the main would have still you know been around mm-hmm. um and he says um the his summary of the three steps to smash the war racket is um, take the profit out of war um, we must permit the youth of the land who would bear arms to decide whether or not they should be at war um, and we must limit our military forces to home defense purposes see I love the idea of that Ooh, we don't live in that world but anymore yeah. but, but, yeah, uh, but even is, then this is also the 1930s this for is that time yeah, it was absolutely you know a thing that could have happened but the idea that still holds up, I think, is that the um, that the military themselves should decide, like the actual soldiers should decide whether or not they they, they want to fight that war. That's, that's yeah. kind of an interesting idea. I'm not sure how uh, amazing it would be because there'd be you know 
there'd probably be some kind of less than scrupulous, as usual, well, like, vote pushing and stuff mm-hmm. like that. We kind of do that today. It's true. We have a volunteer army. You know, we we haven't declared war since, um, I think World War World War Two. Yeah. Every, everything else since then has officially been a police action. Police action. It's not an, yeah. it's not an official declaration of war on a right. foreign country. So. But we call uh, the Gulf War the Gulf well, War. Well, I guess. Wait, I guess the, the Iraq operate, War. Yeah, the Iraq. Well, um, Iraq War One, the Gulf War. I'm pretty sure Operation um, Desert was it Desert, not Desert Strike. That was um, a police action, though. Where we went to Kuwait. Yeah, the second one was a was a. Was a declaration of war. The huh. Gulf, the Gulf War, the Second Gulf War. Oh. Like when we invaded Iraq. I'm pretty sure that was a, a declaration of war. Oh, you mean Bush Jr. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, 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 yep, yep. And we didn't declare war in Vietnam. No. No. It was no. a police action. Jesus Christ! That, know, oh, that wasn't was police that crazy. Action. Isn't that, that was crazy? Police. Get the fuck out of here. That was police action. Even the Korean me. War. Really? We never declared war. The Korean war. war is a police action. Yeah. We never declared war. I mean, at this point, it feels like... Why is that, Steve? Um, because if it's a declaration of war... Um... You have to have a certain amount of votes from Congress to actually declare war. So if they don't want to do it, you'll never get it done. So it's just a local... Like, I understand... I guess I understand that. I just wasn't thinking about it. It's but a like, military. It's a military engagement authorized by Congress. It is not a declaration of war. The last declaration of war was World War II. The last formal declaration. Everything else has been um, authorized by Congress, meaning that Congress has given um, the United States permission um, to to send its military into these uh, areas. God, that's that's such horseshit. Such absolute horseshit. Uh, Vietnam was one. Um, Korean War was authorized by the UN Security Council and funded by Congress. Oh, okay, that makes sense then. As was the Persian Gulf War, which is um, what we know as Desert Storm, and um, the Bosnian War, um, and the Libyan Civil War was also one of those. Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't really thinking in terms of, like, the Libyan Civil War and stuff. I was definitely thinking more in terms of, hey, we were in Vietnam for some years. How the fuck is that not a declaration of war? But, you know. Because uh, they weren't actually at war with a foreign country. Um, it, it was just more their goal was, was sort of to put the military in there and just, you know, keep keep out the communist rebels in South Vietnam. That's yeah, the well. worst. Yeah, we see how we see how that well that one. It's over. it's essentially just you know like gaming the system. It's like rules lawyering it. That's all they're doing. Yeah, it, it's doing it so that because if they had to if they had to officially declare war, it requires like a full a full vote from Congress. And and, and so at the end of the the book, he says to hell with war, and he he talks about the increased um, sort of openness, transparency, um, and an end to militarism will prevent future war. Um, and then, um, not long after this, in, on June 21st, 1940, um, he dies of what is believed was stomach cancer um, at the Naval Shit. Hospital of Philadelphia. They don't know what it actually was? F, F, F. F. Rip, the the rip, doctor's F, diagnosis F. was that it was, a, it was an upper gastro um, ailment that was terminal. Um, um, that sucks. 
That's terrible. It was also yeah. 1940, so I don't think they're really that good at cancer. They're just like, yeah, you're dead. Sorry. So, so there's no like conspiracy that you know, you know that Prescott Bush killed him <laughs> with Hillary like a bad it. bad Twinkie, Hillary. <laughs> Another body in the Clintons. <laughs> Hillary <Whoa>. did it. <laughs> he was 69 years old. Nice. He was 69 <laughs> years old. No, 59 years old. I was going to say, I thought he was younger than that, but I guess 59 in 1940. Yeah. Oh, it's, like like cancer. it's like 152 now. Yeah, well, I was going to say ancient. <laughs> Fucking the Methuselah over there trying to breach 60. <laughs> Look at this early bird special over here. <laughs> uh, waitress, I'll have four sausage links. Are you sure, Smedley? You only usually get two. Four, well, please. Well, it's a big day. Four, please. He's and gotta then go he was home dead. and take a drapini. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> okay. So that's Smedley. That is Smedley Butler. Is there, Smedley Butler. What is the general, like, you know, outlook of that book nowadays? You know, I read it and I was... I don't know about you guys, but I read it a few years ago, so it's been a bit, but I was shocked by it. Like, I was I was shocked by how blunt and just succinct and lucid the argument was. Like, it wasn't long, it was very clear, and it was almost unimpeachable. And I didn't know how much of that I was just confirming to my own belief that war is a racket, because we kind of all talk about it, like, oh, they're just going over there to get oil, you know. But then he just put it in terms that were just, like, how could He's you like, even yes, argue we against are going it? to get oil. Yeah. They're like, yeah, we're and, getting oil. Absolutely. And, and who's paying for it? You motherfuckers are paying for it. How you like yep. that? You, and you who's profiting from it? it? The we same are. ten people. Yeah. <laughs> the same families. I th- a it's lot kinda, of those families are still wealthy today, and they're still in those industries. Yeah. Um, it, it's really it's sort of one of those works from the 30s that's very prescient, like um, like Billy Mitchell's book. Billy Mitchell, the guy with the uh, Pac-Man high score? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, uh, I did not frame hack. I did not do it. It's bullshit. <laughs> I did not hit her, Miss Pac-Man. I have, I have seen Billy Mitchell in person. And he is just as terrible in person as he is in picture. Oh, really? No, he is awful. I, I also have seen uh, the the one guy who runs um, Twin Galaxies, the the bald guy with the 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 fucking um, Foot Locker outfit, the guy who like you manages the scoreboard. I can't think of his name. Yeah, I, I, he was in the documentary for. Yeah, he was in King of Kong as well. In the uh, thank you, the one about the guy who's really good at that snake game. Um, but Billy Mitchell was a um, was an army um, an army air corps general um, who, who sort of predicted um, Pearl Harbor. Um, he was pretty um, he was pretty prescient in like the power of like of air power, and that he had just been a proponent of it. And it was one of those things like the tank, where it was a new weapon, but like most traditional military leaders were not big fans of it. Wait a minute, was this guy? Um, portrayed in Pearl Harbor. He was dead by the time of Pearl Harbor, but oh, he but he predicted in his book he died in 1936. Oh, okay. um, but he but he wrote a book. Um, I believe it was on air power, 
was the yeah. book that that talked about it but yeah. he he predicted the like the that japan would bomb the pearl harbor and they would do so using uh planes wow <laughs> because he had he had been a proponent of using planes to bomb ships Jeez. i mean was this like an unheard of thing back then it was it was pretty it was like pretty experimental like it was pretty out there and then um a lot of the traditional people didn't believe in it because you know the the heart of the navy back then was like the destroyer you know it's a battleship mm-hmm. you know people are still building ridiculous battleships like the yamamoto and the bismarck and all these other like dreadnought level ships like they don't make these ships anymore because they're pretty useless. They're stupid. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're dumb as fuck. Yeah, I was going to say, another stupid. one of those like prescient books from the 30s, um, one that's probably even more uh, prescient to today is It Can't Happen Here by Sinclair Lewis. Yeah. Uh, yes. Like, I yes, feel like, I feel like, if anything, we don't even need to make an argument about current politics. We can just tell people, go read this book, you know? Just go and read it. The best it. part is they're short, they're to the point. They yeah. don't. Re- there's you don't. It doesn't require a lot of like. You know, it can't happen here. It might stretch that. some people because it's like 450 uh, pages, I think. So, but but I agree with you. They are readable. You know, like they're. It's a doable task for most people. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. If you can sit and you can watch Game of Thrones, you can absolutely read any one of these books. Absolutely. Um, his his book. Um, I, I believe it was in his book called Wing Defense, and and he said he he didn't believe that carriers could properly take out Pearl Harbor. Who is this? Because he did, um, Billy Mitchell. Oh, Billy Mitchell, right. Um, but he he felt that um, he felt that they wouldn't be capable of doing it because there wouldn't be enough numbers to effectively operate. Because I guess you know aircraft carriers weren't what they were at the time he wrote the book. Yeah. Um, and, and made those statements in the in the twenties. But he believed that airplanes operating from islands in the Pacific um, could do the damage, which is essentially how the United States, you know, brought Japan to its heels at the end of World War II by just continuously firebombing the island from from positions on islands in the Pacific. Ugh, it's the worst. (laughs) I mean, Billy Mitchell, I can't even find this guy. I have to do, I have to disambiguate. Oh, I found it. All right, I found it. I gotta look into this because that's really interesting. Man, that freaking military service photo. Ugh. Yeah, he's. He, I feel like he's gonna be like he's gonna be hunched forward when he walks with all those medals. <laughs> Our military budget's like what seven hundred million or some dumb shit like that or billion. Something I think it's. Re- I think it's billion. Seven hundred billion. Six hundred ninety-three billion. Billion. Yeah. We spend My so God. much fucking money in the military, but we don't spend it in the correct way. Yeah, um, I mean, and I, I'm not saying I know which way to spend it. Fifty-four percent of the fiscal budget is spent on of all federal. Fifty-four percent of all discretional um, federal discretionary spending um, is a total of five hundred ninety-eight point five billion dollars. Dude, that's freaking. That was in 2015. Yeah, that's disgusting. Uh, because so, so today it's even it. higher. Yeah, and yeah, and here's still here's they a can't uh, provide the basic stuff for the guys over there. Here's the an article the from April 22nd, 2019. Estimated U.S. military spending is 998 billion, if you include hidden factors like Social Security and um, and other other things that happened after the fact. 
That's yeah. freaking crazy, man. Crazy. Do you guys remember when the Something Awful did uh, essentially like the Kickstarter to raise money to buy body armor for a unit over in Iraq? Yes. Raise the money. Yeah. And then they told them, no, if you use it and you get hurt, we're not going to help you. I talked like, to an Iraq veteran, uh, the second, you know, the, the W, the W affair. And, okay. uh, Part deuce. Yeah, and he, <laughs> he told us uh, flat out that, you know, I was talking about dragon skin, which is that, like, kind of futuristic body armor that apparently, Steve and I were talking about it one day, apparently it's not even really that good, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But uh, futuristic bullshit isn't. But but some of the guys tried to get it because they saw like Barbara Walters talking about it on like or Hugh Downs talking about it on like 2020, and some of the guys tried to get it, and uh, and they were told that yeah they were basically told that you know you have a certain type of policy that's out on you and if you take any other equipment into battle and you're found wearing it that we just won't, we won't reimburse you we won't like your family won't be reimbursed for any of your for your death or anything like that like that's so disgusting because it's also up. there's guys over there that don't have armor like they literally don't have enough armor it's fucked up dude it's fucked up but again we can spend a hundred million fucking dollars on a goddamn jet that can't fly in the fucking rain <laughs> <laughs> goodbye smedley we'll miss you smed butts Major Smedley Butler. Oh my god. god. I'm gonna go watch Rookie of the Year now. I gotta go get listen to the doctor say funky butt loving. <laughs> Later. I don't know what happened. Later. My tendons, they're too tight. 